announcement, we're wrapping up a series. If you have a Bible that you brought with you, or if you want to grab one of those red Bibles in the pew, if you're in a front row, there's a little cubby right behind your leg, and we're going to our last week in this sermon series, and we're going to Ephesians. So if you have a pew Bible, it's on page 951 in your pew Bible. I'm going to read for us a long section. It's from the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Verses 1 through 13, if you have a mobile device or if you're joining online on your computer, we're reading from the New Revised Standard Version. If you don't own a Bible and you're here, take one of these with you. It's not stealing. We'd rather you have it than it sit in the pews all week. And if you do not have uh, an app on your phone to access Scripture, I highly recommend the U version. That's spelled Y-O-U version. It's a great app, free app put up by a church in Oklahoma, and it's got almost every translation in almost every language. There's Bible reading plans. I highly, highly recommend it. And let me read for us Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 13. God writes through a leader by the name of Paul, and he says this, I therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift, Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry." for building up the body of Christ until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. This, my friends, includes the reading of God's Word. And we're going to come back to this passage in a moment, but as a reminder, if you haven't been with us or if you are new today, we're exploring relationships. Every single one of us has relationships that we want to grow, that we want to build, that we want to reconcile, that we want to amend. Uh, perhaps some of us want to uh, have healthier boundaries in our relationships, and we've been exploring each week how, for many of us, we have pain in our relationships. And there's this invitation that God gives us to experience the peace that He offers in those relationships. And finally, today, in this conclusion to this series on relationships, we're going to talk about the purpose of relationships. Why do we have relationships? Why did God create us as relational beings? Well, before we go back into this, uh, there's a story that unfolded, a true story actually this week. In fact, a week ago today, there was this amazing event down in Cozumel, Mexico. And something happened at this elite triathlon event. It was the World Triathlon Series. It's the last one in a series. It happened down there. And something happened there that actually caused a little video at the tail end of this race. The video went viral. Now, if you didn't see it, you can check it online. It's, it's all over the news. It happened a week ago. And there was this young man from Great Britain by the name of Johnny Brownlee. 
and he was like 100 yards from the finish. He was about to win. You think about a triathlon, you got to swim, you got to bike, you got to run, you got to be crazy to be able to do this thing, right? And he is almost at the finish line. He comes around this corner, and all of a sudden, the commentators who are, who are kind of like narrating what's going on, they're like, uh-oh, uh-oh, what's going on with Johnny? And all of a sudden, you see him running, and his legs start to kind of like give out from under him. You're like, oh, no, he's cramping up, and they're, and they're, they're starting to panic. And all of a sudden, as you're watching him, he starts to, his head starts going like this, and he starts going to the side. He's in first place. He's almost at the finish. And the commentators are saying, there must be something wrong. This isn't good. This is what's going to happen. And all of a sudden, you see him just, he's losing his ability to even make it across the finish line. Well, another young man from South Africa, capitalizing on Johnny's misfortune, sprints right past him and wins. And he's elated. He wins the whole thing. But that's not why the video went viral. The reason why the video went viral is because there was a third man who happened to be Johnny's brother, Alistair, who actually was in second place when his brother began to limp, began to hobble, began to get disoriented. And so Alistair, ahead of the South African, could have easily made it to the finish line, could have easily won. He would have taken first place, but what did, what did Alistair do? He did the complete opposite of the gentleman that took first place. In fact, when he was around in the corner, he could have passed his brother, but instead he ran over to his brother. He took his brother's arm and threw it over his shoulder, and he wrapped his arm around his brother, and they began to run together to hobble, to limp towards the finish line, arm in arm. And Johnny's face was so pained, he was, he was distraught. He later was taken to the hospital for, for what was bordering on the edge of heat stroke and exhaustion and dehydration. But the face on Alistair, the brother who just gave up first place, the brother who was now giving his life for his brother to carry him across the finish line, the look on his face was one of joy was one of satisfaction, was one of, of purpose and meaning. And I'm watching this video on, on, my, on my phone at home. Somebody had sent it to me, and I'm starting to tear up. And I'm just, this is, this is unbelievable. Not because of, now I have a good sermon illustration, but now because <laughs> of this display of humanity. And Alistair is literally, he's, he, he gets to the end, and rather than the healthier brother crossing for second place and then dragging his brother, he could have done that. No, what did he do? He literally took his failing brother and he pushed his brother over the finish line. And Johnny just falls to the ground, and then Alistair comes over and he picks his brother up. And for that reason, that video went viral. For that reason, it spread throughout all the news outlets. And in that little moment, in a little town called Cozumel, Mexico, we saw and we experienced the two different ways you can approach life. You can either approach it as the winner of that race, and I don't want to speak ill of him because I am like this almost every day of my life, but it's a my life for me approach to the world. My energy for me, my resources for me, my time for me. It's all for me, for my glory, for my fame, for my winning. 
And it's so easy for us, because we're, we're kind of naturally born into that mindset, and we go into this world, and it's so easy for us to look at opportunities, to look at resources, to look at all the things in this life is really building ourselves up, our, our peace, our security, our satisfaction. And when a person who goes throughout life saying, my life for me, gets into a relationship with someone else, then quickly that, that, that perspective grows, but it's still self-centered, and it's a... It's your life for me. And then if that relationship grows so much that they get married or there's a business partnership or there's this deep intimacy, then it's, it, there's a we here, but it's really this, the we exists for me. You know those kind of people. You are those kind of people. When we get impatient, when we have short fuses, when we get very critical, when we're quick to speak, we're slow to listen, we're quick to anger, we're constantly disappointed, it's because we get into a rut of everything is for me. You see, you don't need relationships in your life if you are the center of your own universe. Yeah, the relationships help, but really you don't need other people. And in this world, sometimes we can mistakenly think that God gives us relationships or we have relationships or we should network, we should have friends, we should get married, we should get into a small group so that me can grow and me can thrive and me can have peace. We can mistakenly think that the purpose of relationships is for the me. But it becomes this elusive thing that will be more disappointed We'll have less peace, we'll have less joy, we'll have less satisfaction. We'll be crossing the finish line alone. And people won't look at us and say, ah, that's humanity. They'll look at us if we are the, the me for me kind of people and say, well, how could you do that? That's me most every day of my life. In every single moment of every single day, there's a hundred moments where I can choose between that way of life or the, the other way of life. Or a brother would not say me for me or you for me or we for me, but rather my life for yours. My glory for yours, my energy for yours, my time for yours, my joy for yours, my, my wants, my desires. My vacation, my gifts, my talents, my car, my home, for yours. And the reason why that video went viral is because the world saw in that way of life goodness. They saw in that approach to life humanity, a spark that reminds us that we live in a world that isn't hopeless, that, that we live in a world that isn't completely broken, that we live in a world that is completely not falling off the ledge, that we long for those things. You see, Solomon in Ecclesiastes, God said and gave him the greatest wisdom. In fact, he's described as the most wise person of all time, King Solomon. He says this, that eternity has been written on the hearts of all people. How God has wired us, no matter what culture we grow up in, says that if you are someone that gives your life for others... That's a beautiful thing. That's how teams are made. You see, the greatest championship teams aren't ones that are all about the individuals going for the stats. It's not just a group of me's. It's a group of people that lay their life down for the team. 
the greatest companies, the greatest families, the greatest churches, the greatest civilizations are those where people are willing to show up and say, my life for yours. And that's the reason why that video went viral. And that's what we long for. And as we come back to this passage, open those Bibles back up. You have it in front of you, on your phone, on the computer, on the printed word right there. The Apostle Paul models it to us in this. And he says, this is the purpose. This is the reason why we have relationships. So that you can experience my life for yours. And before I read this again, just pause in that, that moment. The reason why you have kids, the reason why you have parents, the reason why you have neighbors, the reasons why you work with other people, the reason why you join a small group, the reason why you have friends, the reason why you are married. If you were to see the reason for all of those things as an opportunity to lay your life down for them, your face is going to look like Alistair Brownlee. There will be a deeper sense of joy. There will be the sense of peace. There will be the sense of purpose. You know what that's like. You know exactly what it's like when somebody looks you in the eyes and says, thank you. I couldn't have done it without you. That's what heaven is going to sound like, a lot of thank yous. Because every single person is going to be laying down their life for somebody else. Hell, you're never going to hear the word thank you. Because nobody's laying down their life for anyone else. It's a bunch of me's looking out for number one, looking out for me. So there's no reason to say a thank you. Heaven is a place where we're going to look each other in the eye and say thank you. Those words, that gift that you brought. And we get to experience that now here on earth. We pray for those. On earth as it is in heaven, thy kingdom come. Your eternity, what you designed for us now. You see, the more that you can lean into that as the purpose for every relationship you have in your life, and there's a way to do it by setting proper boundaries, by not being a doormat, by not being a victim. There's a way where you can lay your life down for other people while still being able to say no. And if you don't know how to do that, there's a class right afterwards, Changes That Heal. It's at 1230. It's a great opportunity to set those boundaries to grow in those areas. But the Apostle Paul says it this way. Take a look. Verse 1. He says, I therefore... He says, I am a prisoner of the Lord. Talk about laying your life down for someone else. Paul's saying that my entire life, I am a slave to Christ. I want to give my life to him. We'll get there in a moment, the reason why he did that. But he says that I beg of you to lead a life worthy of the calling to which you have been called. And this is your calling. Not only as humans... Not only as people that long to experience a life of vitality and purpose and meaning and joy and peace, that the calling that you have on your life is to, on a daily basis, to say this and to experience this, my life for yours. That's the calling that you have on your life. And the reason why you are here today is because somebody else leaned into their calling. Every single one of you at some point was born. There's no such thing as artificial intelligence yet, so I can still say that. One day, who knows if we'll be able to say that, but I can safely say that every single one of you at some point was born. And the reason why you had life is because somebody else, a parent, a grandparent, an adopted parent, a step-parent, 
foster care system, extended family, friends, godparents, a group of people, at least one person laid down their life for you. They had hard-earned money, they spent it on you. Or somebody else gave to a deacon fund so that those parents for that moment could spend it on you. You see, there was a death so that you would have life. Somebody gave up their time, somebody gave up their sleep, Somebody gave up their normal vacation schedule, their rhythm, their late nights, being able to do what they want when they wanted. They gave up their freedom for you. The reason why you are alive is because somebody else said, my life for yours. And it's so easy for us to forget that, that there is this common denominator across all of humanity, no matter what you've been given, no matter how much you make, no matter where you live, no matter what car you drive, or if you've never owned a car in your life, that somebody laid their life down for you. At the human level, whether you believe in God or not, every single person in this place, somebody said, I'm going to give up me for you. And that's the calling that God has on all of us. But there's a deeper level, there's a more profound level when we begin to have a connection, where we begin to relate with, where we begin to understand that there's a deeper calling that we can respond to that is far deeper than just being a citizen of humanity. And Paul presses in and he says this, this is all my life for yours language, with all humility. That's a my life for yours. With all, with all gentleness, with all patience, bear with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. You've got to lay down your wants, you've got to lay down your desires, you've got to lay down your preferences to experience what he is talking about right here. And then he begins to unfold something that is absolutely revolutionary. He begins to talk about Jesus and he says this. In verse 7, and I'll come back to verse 4 in a moment. In verse 7 he says, but each of us was given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. What he's saying is this. What Jesus has done is he has set you free. That the things that cause us pain, the things that bind us, the things that cause us to not be able to thrive in our relationships, Jesus defeated all of that. But how did he do that? And this is the key. Take a look at the next verse. Verse 9. When it says he ascended, what does it mean but that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? You've got to catch this. If you've zoned out, if you're checking your box scores, if you're thinking about lunch, if you're making reservations, come back to this moment because if you understand this, it changes everything. And this answers the question of how does God relate to you? And the majority of problems that I see in the church are because we have a distortion of how we think God relates to us. The majority of the pastoral counseling that I do is because there is a distortion, there is a misunderstanding of how we think God relates to us. And the distortion, the lie, the, the misperception is that we think some of us, I, I think many of us here, we might think that God relates to us in this way. God up there says, your life for me. Let that sink in for a moment. The reason why some of us think of God as a demanding parent or a tyrant or who always wants more 
Or if we think of God as this one that we have to perform for, that we have to be good for, that we have to show up to church for, that we have to do all these things so that God loves us. If we think of God that way, then we're just putting God into a category that he is not, but we're putting him into a category that we think that he is demanding our life for his. And when we make mistakes, the last thing we want to do is turn to him. The last thing we want to do is show up at church. The last thing we want to do is to do anything that he invites us into because we think that it's all about him. It's one of the most common things that I hear from my non-believing friends. They'll say, well, why, do, why is God so selfish that he needs to be worshipped? I mean, how self, this, my friends say this to me. They say, how self-absorbed is a God that you have to worship him? You see, that's a distortion. That's a lie. That's a misperception that God relates to us that it's our life for God's. But oh no. The Apostle Paul reminds us right in the middle of this. He says, Jesus ascended. He sets us free. Why? Because he descended. And what does that mean? It means that though Jesus lived the perfect life, though he didn't need to, and though he was not a victim, he went to the cross for you and for me. And he didn't just talk about this concept of my life for yours. He gave his life for yours. That he was buried, that he experienced the tortures of hell on the cross, that he paid the ultimate cost. Why? Because he loves you. He looks at you and says that you are the most priceless thing in all of creation, and therefore I'm going to pay the highest price. I'm going to give my life. Do you realize that the way that God relates to you is this? God says, my life for yours. And he doesn't just say it, he does it, and he proves it. And we can actually see it throughout all of Scripture that God is a God that is constantly giving God's life for you. He pursues you out of love. He sacrifices everything. You see, God isn't just a God of relationship. God is a God of covenant relationship. And the way that God does relationships is by way of covenant. The way that a covenant works is this. One person makes a promise to another person. I will do this no matter what you do. Then the other person will say, well, I will do this for you no matter what you do. It is a binding agreement. It's not like a contract where if one person doesn't live up to the end of the bargain that it's broken, you see a covenant is an unconditional promise. And the way that covenants would work throughout Scripture in the ancient world is they would say that if my covenant is broken, if I don't live up to the end of the covenant, may I be killed. May I be torn in two. That's how serious covenant relationships were. I'm committing to you so much, unconditionally so much, that if I don't live into that covenant, then may I be killed. And the other person would say the same thing. I covenant with you, I promise, unconditionally. And if I don't live up to it, may I be killed? That's how people make covenants with one another. But do you realize that the way that God makes covenants with us is different? You can read about it in his covenant to Noah. You can read about it in God's covenant to Abram and many others. God does something very different. One of my most precious stories I treasure in my heart is this, and it's weird. It's kind of odd. You look at it and you're like, what is this about? There's this moment in Scripture where we see God is making a covenant with one of his people, with Abram. 
And he goes into this, this trance and he kind of is envisioning what is happening. And there are these carcasses laid on either side and there's this flaming torch that passes through and comes back and then it passes through and come back. And when you read this, you're like, what is this about? And literally what God is trying to communicate to his people is this, that if I don't live up to my end of the covenant to give you peace, to give you hope, to bless you, to provide for you, to give you all the things that I've created for you, may I be killed. And then God says, and if you don't live up to your end of the covenant, if you live a life that is all about you, if you are the center of your own universe, if you don't love me in return, God twists it. He says, may I be killed. Do you realize what God is saying there? And why throughout all of Scripture we see people who at some points are saying, my life for me, your life for me, it's all about me. Why would God include that in Scripture? Because He wants to show us that no matter how we live, He says, I have come for you. And I'm going to lay my life down for you, no matter what mistakes you've made, no matter what you did last night, no matter how ashamed you are, even as you're listening online, because you don't even want to show up in person because of what happened last week. God is saying, I'm laying my life down for you. And when you begin to allow that truth to soak into your heart, into your mind, into your life, you can begin to realize that God, which is a community of one, we talk about God as the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And yet this community, this triune community, is also described as one. You begin to realize that God is not a dead-end street. God is not a cul-de-sac. And He doesn't want all of His creation to just love Him and have it end there. But rather, God as a community of one is a thoroughfare. It's a highway of love where the Father is serving the Son and the Son is serving the Father and the Spirit is serving and it's this ongoing self-giving, laying down their lives for one another. And what happens when God creates us is that flows out of the community of one that is God to us. You see, the reason why God has given you relationships is that you would experience what you were created for. Made in the image of God, that you would get to experience the joy the thrill of saying, my life for yours. Many of you are doing that. I see it. When you show up on a Sunday and rather than just grab your coffee and just have it be all about you, I see you, you, you serve, you volunteer, you're down in the parking lot, you're greeting people as they make their way in. You're volunteering in the children's programming, in the youth programming, you're coming up after the service and you're praying with people. You're greeting people out in the patio with tears and you're putting your arm around them. You're giving quietly, anonymously. You're giving up your Saturday mornings, your Sunday nights. You're joining our partners down in LA. You're going all the way to Egypt, to Congo, to South Africa. You are saying, my life for yours. You're giving to the Deacon's Fund. And you're not knowing how it's all going to play out, but you're saying, my life for yours. Some of you, you show up on a Sunday and I see you happier and happier every week. And the conversations I have with you as you serve, as you pour yourself out, you tell me, you're the ones who tell me this. I never thought it'd be this fun to give my time, my energy, my gifts, to mentor others, 
to turn off the TV and play with my kids. I never thought how fun it would be to have triplets. It was awful for a season. <laughs> my friend told me this last week. But it's so amazing because I just get to pour my life into them. That's the kind of life I want to live. And I can't do that on my own. I can't do that on my own strength. And the Apostle Paul says that if you want to experience what it's like to be one, right there, verse 4, one body, one spirit, just as you're called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all, is that you would be a community of one in the same way that God is a community of one. Imagine how much our lives would be transformed if we showed up every Sunday, every day of the week, with the prayer, God, would you help me to give my life for yours, whoever the you might be. Imagine how much our relationships with our family, our friends, our coworkers, our marriages, our neighbors, all the people we meet, if we began to look at it, not as a me for me or you for me, but a my life for yours. That's going to go viral. That's what Christ died for. That's what he longs for. That's what we get to choose every day and everywhere with everyone. Let's pray. God, in a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to respond. Some of us will respond through giving of our finances. Some will respond by sending a text to someone we need to reconcile with. Some of us are going to respond by choosing to volunteer. Some of us will respond by going to a class today, to Alpha, or to Changes That Heal. Some of us are going to respond by getting more involved. But God, would you stir in our hearts so much that we are compelled to respond to the fact that you gave your lives for us. May we treasure that truth. May that spill out into our lives. May you help us to not be dead ends as people, but to be thoroughfares of your grace, your love, your mercy. Jesus, we thank you that you've given it all. Fill us up and send us out. In your name we pray and we say together, amen.